Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Detoxicity Podcast. My name is Mike Joseph, and I hope that you and yours are staying safe and healthy. I appreciate your support of this podcast, so please make sure to mash that follow or subscribe button on whatever platform you're using to listen. Also, I would love it if you left a comment and rating on the podcast if the platform supports it. You can rate me five stars, you can rate me one star, leave whatever comment you'd like. You can follow me on Instagram at It's Mike Joseph, and if you have an idea for a show or if you would like to be interviewed on the show yourself, please drop me a line. My email is detoxpod at gmail.com. And that Instagram is It's Mike Joseph, and feel free to slide into my DMs. In this episode, I am talking to Peter Andre, not the British pop star Peter Andre, not the gay porn actor Peter Andre, but Peter Andre, who wrote the book on masculinity. Well, he wrote a book on masculinity. That book is called Be a Man, How I Spent One Year Drinking, Shaving, Farming, and Fathering My Way Toward Masculinity. It's self-published, but you can find it on Amazon or wherever you enjoy books. And uh, we talk a lot about the book. Uh, We also talk about getting out of your comfort zone, uh, how to deal with social anxiety, uh, his adventures in parasailing, how masculinity has changed or at least the public perception of masculinity has changed and the discussion around masculinity has changed in the several years since he's written the book. And uh, what has been the greatest thing that he has had to unlearn? So uh, check out this interview. It's really good. And I appreciate you listening. Peter Andre, everybody. My name is Peter Andre, and I wrote a book on how to be a man or what I thought was the, the guide for how to be a man when I wrote it. And you know what's craziest to me about this is that I've known you for several years yeah. and did not know until I was telling you about this podcast. Actually, I don't even think I knew then. I found out from other people when I told them that I was doing this podcast and was going to interview you. They were like, oh, yeah, Peter wrote a book about that. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> How has this never come up in conversation before? Well, I wrote it before we knew each other. Yeah. And then I've slowly made my way into other artistic pursuits since then. But yeah, it was a big part of my life for, uh, for, for just about two years. Um, basically the genesis of this, this book is, um, I came to New York when I was 24 and I wanted to get into film and television writing. So I started reading screenplays for production companies and like giving reports, doing coverage on them. And basically was trying to do everything to be a writer except actually write. And so it took one of these producers to tell me, if you want to be a writer, you just have to write. You have to just sit down and do it. And I was like, oh, that's, that's great advice. So I stopped doing that, and I really put my efforts into writing. And I was trying to think of a premise. I was 26 at that point, and I felt like I had gotten through college, living on, you know, by myself, and trying to figure that whole uh, you know part of my life out. And I fe- felt like there were a lot of... Um, skills I didn't have at that point. <laughs> and I equated them to still being a kind of like a, a child and not um, like actually having, being an adult. I guess right. nowadays you'd say adulting. Back then I just felt like I wasn't, uh, you know, uh, manly enough, I guess. And that's kind of where the, the premise of the book came out is that I decided what I would do is I'd spend an entire year doing a manly thing each week. And the idea is that <laughs> Each week I'd have a friend or a relative show me how to do the thing. So it was a nice way to kind of like, when do you ever ask your friends to teach you how to do something? It's Rarely. Yeah. So it was a good like opportunity to have that kind of like, um, to deepen those relationships with people. But it was also selfishly a way for me to learn how to like 
chop wood and <laughs> learn how to tie a bow tie and uh, hit a baseball and kick a field goal. So I spent, I started it as a blog um, and each week I'd put something online and it would be all these different kind of manly challenges I would, I would put, I would say that they were. And then at the end of, it took about two years to actually finish it up. Um, at the end of that process, I took my favorite essays, basically, and I, I self-published it as a book. You That's read. the book that is sitting right here on the table <laughs> yeah. next to me, and I, I'm going to grab it real quick. Yeah. And it is called Be a Man, How I Spent One Year Drinking, Shaving, Farming, and Fathering My Way Toward Masculinity. Yeah. In the context of the conversation around masculinity in 2020, I think this book is sort of an interesting thing. It's almost kind of despite the fact that it was only published like six years ago, it's almost kind of a relic kind of in, in, in terms of certain. I think that's kind of wonderful. That <laughs> it's it, to me, it feels like very recent history, but I feel like when I was writing the book, the idea of talking about gender and everything kind of wrapped up in that is so, is so different now. And we're able to talk about it. And I think younger people are more aware of all the, the nuances and all the differences in that. Whereas by the end of it, I, I kind of came to the realization that for me, masculinity was more about trying to be more assertive and more fearless and open to new things rather than something tied to gender. Sure. But it still, in a lot of ways, was a very binary thing when I was writing the book. And like, yeah, like you said, that was like six years ago. And now it, it does it does feel like I, I don't think I would approach the premise in the same way if I were starting that book now than I did just that recent time ago. And I guess I sort of know the answer to this, but there is definitely like an old school sense of what masculinity is. That and John a, Wayne. Yeah, kind of, and a lot yeah. of the essays you 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 uh, write in here. I mean, you're working on a farm. You're using a map and compass. You're uh, doing a straight razor. Right. Like a lot of that stuff is sort of tied into those old images of what masculinity is. I think so much of how. Uh, this is probably still true to some aspect, maybe hopefully less so now, but certainly when I was growing up, I think a lot of what uh, my behavior was, was based on movies that I watched and TV shows that I watched. And so a lot of it is that kind of, yeah, the classic images that you would see, I don't even in like, I don't know, Marlboro ads in magazines. Oh, yeah. Like what are those yeah, guys the big, doing? Yeah, uh, big burly dude with the uh, Carhartt jacket and the plaid shirt oh, and totally. the cowboy hat and the, the stogie. It's kind of like if you have you're playing a game of Pictionary. If yeah. someone asks you to draw, you know, a man, a man that's, yeah. what you're going to do, it's, of course, it's going to be a stereotype, and it's not going to be things that are necessarily healthy right. to emulate yourself. Right. Right. But that's certainly what I kind of um, uh, started with in terms of the premise. I, a lot of the, the the challenges that I did uh, were also based around what my friends could do and what they could teach me. So, like one of the challenges was I threw a shot put wouldn't be the first thing that I went to in my head of a manly thing, but it was a great thing to learn. And I had a friend who, who, who used who to do it. Yeah, so it was <laughs> Which like... not everyone has. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so growing up, like what was your perception of what a man was and where did you kind of fit into that whole thing? Like what, what was your sort of aspirational? Yeah. I think, um, when I was younger, I was, uh, uh, into sports like most, you know, kids, you know, and most of my friends that age. And I slowly got into uh, more kind of uh, the other side of that, not sports, but but getting into theater and getting into music and things like that, that I think from my maybe standpoint as a, a younger kid, being also kind of a smaller guy, looking up to like the jocks in the high school and things like that, and, and seeing that as 
it was pursuits that I genuinely enjoyed and I wasn't going to shy away from that. But it also didn't feel like the like classic kind of football player on that you know the captain of the football team. Again, it was I think a lot of it really was based on like you know teen movies like in high school oh, that the I media, watched. I think all just in I general. I think it played a huge of... part. Yeah, certainly my my dad is a very um, charismatic and very uh, manly guy in terms of being able to like uh, do things around the house. Um, he's a great cook. Um, There's a story. In, yeah. in, in the book about your about you working with your dad yeah and your dad like gets like a burn on his body yeah it's, my church has a uh back home had a has a, a a festival every every year where they it's a greek church and they sell a lot of food and they make a lot of money for the church and so i went back and helped him and in the middle of the day and i'm kind of he's kind of basically shadowing him you know the entire day and i'm you know holding on to him for dear life because i never <laughs> did any food service working Oh, when I was younger. And uh, in the middle of the day, he spills an entire stockpot of avolemono soup, which is like Greek chicken noodle soup, on his leg and has to go to the emergency room. And so I'm basically <laughs> there by myself. I mean, it's all about me. At yeah, that of course. Point. Yeah. <laughs> He's, Always. He was fine. He got burned badly, but he, he was okay. But so certainly my dad was definitely a, a figure of masculinity for me growing up. But I think I did put a lot of stock into the images I was seeing in the media and uh, maybe people I looked up to in school um, in terms of what I what I thought I needed to be. Some of this is it was a good premise for a book, and I kind of leaned into sure. that more yeah, than yeah. It, 100% being something that I felt like was really lacking in my life. But, you know, you write what you know. I mean, there was definitely some truth to that, that I didn't feel like I was fully realized as a human being, as a man, without knowing these skills. And have you, since writing the book, have you applied any of these skills on a regular basis? Because these are things, I feel like a lot of these things are things you do like once and then stop. Right. Uh, I mean, I one uh, challenge here is like wear a suit every day and I have very rarely seen you in a suit. Right. So I know right. you haven't, uh, I haven't, the, you haven't held up that end of the bargain. It's always like the really simple challenges or, or simple on, on paper that turned out to be so difficult for me. Like I felt so kind of um, awkward and seen in a ways that I didn't like when I was wearing a suit every day because I would be in situations where people knew I wouldn't normally wear a suit so it became this thing like what what are you doing it was early on when I was writing the the blog as well so it was uh it, it found it really tough there was a week where I um fasted from technology I didn't use a, a cell phone or a computer or God anything bless. like that it was good <laughs> until it wasn't until I was bored out of my skull <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you um, do? Yeah, I just went to Central Park and just sat down and, and napped. I did a lot of napping. In Central Park? Yeah, it was... Uh, Is that, I, that's not safe. Well, I didn't go at night. Oh, I mean, well, still not that's safe. That's true. I took hands in pockets, maybe. <laughs> I kind of fooled myself into thinking okay. it would be okay. I, that was the week where I was reading um, Walden. <laughs> I was thinking, maybe I could be this mountain man kind of guy. But it didn't. It didn't work. The only thing that really stuck uh, was drinking scotch. That's the only thing that I, mean, I still do. I, everyone, regardless of gender, should drink scotch. Absolutely. because scotch is awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know that I could still kick a field goal. It took me <laughs> the entire week just to get one through the uprights, and so after that, I was like, I'm going to yeah, end on a good one. Yeah. 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 Go undefeated after that. So what's kind of strange is you know I know you. Yeah. And you are a very like well put together. You've got, like, a Metro vibe happening. So just the idea of, like, you writing this book right. is, is kind of like, well, that's weird. 
Like I <laughs> totally. I mean, it was definitely out of my comfort zone to do a lot of that stuff. I took a, like a survivalist course as one of the chapters, right. and that was there weren't a lot of people with my vibe <laughs> taking that course. I'll say that um, is a very entertaining uh, <laughs> uh, passage. In Thank the book. you. But yeah, that's. I mean, that's honestly. I mean, to 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 not be joking about that's really the the wonderful thing that I took away from it is I think before I wrote. The book, I was really scared to try new things, and I really needed um, other people to push me in that direction. If, if my friends were, were pushing me into the direction to try something new, yeah, I guess I would. But like I, you know, I wouldn't go volunteer by myself like I did for the book, or or, or half the things that I did. That's the thing that I'm still trying to do is is find things that take me out of my comfort zone and scare me. And I feel like that's that's the place where you um, where you learn more about yourself and you grow as an individual. And that's what I hadn't been doing before I kind of forced myself to to write this. You also, actually, that ties into something else that sort of surprised me, where you talk a lot about social anxiety. Yeah. And, again, as long as I've known you, I've, I've the perception that I've had of you is as a generally outgoing, the very yeah. least friendly outgoing I've, person. Yeah, I, I try to be, for sure. It's something, something I want to be, but definitely I experience social anxiety. I'm I'm actually, I would say, an introverted person in that, yeah, I can be fine in social situations, but I need like time to also be by myself and like recharge my batteries. Like that's important to me. So yeah, my <laughs> my parents joked that the book was kind of my pre-therapy, right? <laughs> and they're not they're not inaccurate when they say that. Uh, a lot of the book chapters, as you know, you know they they start with an anecdote from my childhood where I felt like I totally failed at something or I felt embarrassed about something or I just didn't live up to these expectations that I set for myself, which often were just unreasonable. A lot of, and this is something I'm still, you know, struggling with is a lot of, and and maybe this ties into masculinity and what we kind of society has expected out of men for so long is um being the the the, not disappointing others sure being the breadwinner of the family things like that that have been kind of like drilled into you as you're growing up um puts a lot of pressure on on people and i think that's kind of you know for me i know has definitely translated into anxiety in terms of disappointing other people or or not living up to those ideals and so um it was kind of nice to you know, in the book, when I had my mentors for each week, I, I moved away from the idea of gender and, and I would have, you know, women, men, whoever teach me. I had um, a 10 year old girl teach me how to hit a baseball. Right. Right. <laughs> so it was I tried to I did that kind of purposefully, not not tie it so much to gender in terms of teaching me the skills, because I really do believe even even then. And of course, I believe it now that, it, you know, that the idea of masculinity or, or confidence or something like that is not tied to a gender Absolutely. or, or, or yeah. anything like that. Um, and, and so that was good in terms of my growth from that, in terms of kind of breaking away from that. Oh, this is as a man, this is what you're supposed to, to be. So if anything, the book kind of helped expand my definition of what masculinity could be for me. I want to go back to the social anxiety thing okay. really quickly. Yeah. How do you, how does that present itself? Generally, does it still present itself these days? Sure, again. sure. Maybe I'm just better at hiding. It. I just everything you seem very at home every time I, I hang yeah. out. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, you're getting older and experiencing things and, and being in different situations, less things surprise me, maybe, and and that's always helpful. Um, I definitely, I wouldn't say I have OCD, but I have OCD tendencies. I definitely have 
rituals that I do that I, I kind of feed into that kind of like like I wash my hands a lot. I'm okay. kind of a germaphobe. I mean, this <laughs> whenever this goes if this when this goes live, hopefully yeah. the whole coronavirus thing is <laughs> over and done with. But now is a good time to be washing your hands repeatedly. Right, exactly. See, and now I feel like I've been waiting for my moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's, all, it's all justified. <laughs> but in terms of that specific ritual tying into, oh, that's when like the thoughts will go racing in my head. It's kind of like a Pavlovian thing at that point. It's tied to that. And uh, what's been helpful for me that, so after I had my pre-therapy writing this book, I actually did go to therapy, therapy for a while, which was super helpful. And um, I think a lot of it was just identifying these moments as, okay, this is not me, Peter, as an individual having these thoughts or being obsessive compulsive about something. It's just that's my brain doing crazy things. And like just identifying that as, oh, it's something outside of me that's making me think those thoughts or, or whatever was really helpful to kind of break away from it's it's not me it's just you know my brain chemistry that's that's making that happen and once i was able to identify that through this book and going through therapy and, and just living life and getting older um i've been able to deal with it better but that doesn't mean that it ever goes away and then I'm, i've been starting crossfit this uh this year this is my new thing for 2020 okay and um i barely know any of the weightlifting moves the barbell is still scary to me <laughs> in so many ways are you one of those people because i'm one of those people i work out a fair amount but yeah. i will not go to the gym because i feel like i'm gonna get on the bench or do something with the yeah. weights and i'm gonna get laughed at totally yeah totally and that's what i'm kind of dealing with right now obviously they're great people at the crossfit gym i'm going to no one's doing that but in your mind you think well that's that's what everybody's everyone's looking thinking. at me yeah everyone's looking at me when i screw up um, so I'm finding it helpful just to continually find those, those, those activities, those moments in life where I, I can still find those, those scary things and find my way, way through them. And really the book was the first time I really put any kind of energy into actually doing that. I think before, when I was younger, when I was in college, I, I very much stayed in my comfort zone to probably avoid like, you know, the, the social anxiety or just anxiety in general. And uh, I realize I feel so much more fulfilled as a person um, when I'm doing those scary things and then getting through them. Or sometimes you don't. So you still kind of fail at things. And failing is, is you know, there's a, a chapter in the book where I try stand-up. And I really thought I was going to be good at it because I felt like I was just a, a funny person and I was writing at You're the time. You're a theater guy also. Yeah, I did so, a lot of theater in yeah. school. And I was terrible. It was the, it's still maybe one of the, the hardest things I've ever done in my life. And um, so that was something that I definitely 100% I think failed at, but I'm still really glad that I do. You had the experience. You got on that stage. Yeah. I think a lot of people are just afraid to even take that step. Yeah. Yeah. And I certainly was that person. I still am in, in certain aspects of my life. But I, I again, I find that when I can punch through that wall, I feel so much better on the other side. Okay. So wait, if you were creating a new book. Yeah. <laughs> what are some of the things that you have not done yet that you would like oh. to do? Oh, that's a good question. See, again, it's so weird because I think, you know, the idea of masculinity when I was writing the book to now, I feel like I I wouldn't feel so um, like I would kind of lean into those stereotypes as much sure. as I did writing yeah. the book. Um, it's more just kind of things that I guess I would like yeah. to do to yeah, grow I mean, as Even an just in terms of being Peter, like what are things that Peter wants to do that he has not done yet? I think a lot of what it is is um, 
what I found it, it getting older is relationships have become so much more important to me in life. And uh, I'm still someone, again, I'm, I'm an introverted person. I'm still someone who's, who's sh- I think, shy in, in social situations and meeting new people. Sure. I, I think I've done better at kind of getting over that. But I think... Well, there's um, also like a, a fake it till you make it element. Totally. I think uh, that's what I'd like to do is is uh, meet people from different stripes of life and uh, learn more about their experiences. You know, I've been on, growing up on the East Coast my entire life, and I think I've met, you know, the kind of East Coast person quite a bit. I feel like I know all the kind of different, you know, different varieties of that person, but I would like to meet people from different walks of life and learn their stories. Yeah, I think a lot of it's like traveling and being in new, new situations, probably trying more different foods. <laughs> I think that's what it would be. It would be something that kind of ties into, um, adventure in some capacity do you consider yourself an adventurous person i'm definitely not a very spontaneous person (laughs) i like nothing makes me happier than seeing like my calendar for the week on my iphone all filled up with like things things but there's a difference between like i'm going to make an appointment to jump out of a plane and being like uh it's 12 o'clock i feel like jumping out of a plane i'm calling somebody right now and you would say both those things are adventurous because one is adventurous, one is kind of one is adventurous, one is spontaneous and adventurous. Okay, interesting. So I would be the I'd be the the former. I'm trying to be more spontaneous though. I mean that's I mean, that's part of the be a man too. Would be <laughs> someone just tells me you're doing this today. You don't have time to think about it. I think I have to force myself to be adventurous to a certain extent. I think it's my nature to be very kind of careful as a person um, and risk averse. Um, and I, I, because I know that if I can get past that, I'm usually more fulfilled than kind of staying in my lane. I, sure. I, I try to do it, but it's, it's something I have to actively think about and force myself to do. So, okay. What does, what, what is a risk for you? I, I don't know. I'm trying to think of risky things. Cause I also feel like I'm, I'm not a risky person. Yeah. I'm like a calculated risk. Sure. Type of person. Uh, yeah. Same. And I'm trying to think of something that would just be super risky that I would actually be interested in doing. And I'm drawing a blank. So, <laughs> I mean, like, I've, I've had the same job for the last 10 years. I think trying, you know, some a, a different thing, a totally different industry would be something right. that would be risky for me. Right. But I think I get a lot of fulfillment out of it. You know, I think anything that I can think of where I've kind of hit the same routine with stuff, that's where I'm always looking at. It's like, okay, how can I kind of break out of that routine? Like that was kind of the idea behind CrossFit as, you know, a couple of years prior to this, I had been having kind of the same workout routine and I was just kind of getting into a rut. and was feeling so familiar. So I was like, I need to do something that is a little bit more scary. But again, it was, I mean, I, I wrote it down as my New Year's resolution. Did like, you really? It was a very calculated thing. Which is funny to me, A, because you made a New Year's resolution oh, sure. and B, because you wrote it down. Oh, Yeah. I mean, writer. I love... <laughs> I yeah, I, mean, I got to write it down or I'm going to forget it. <laughs> I'm still in my head like, ah, risk, risk, risk. Risk. Ah. It's because we're, we're, see, we're so... We've calculated all the risks. Yeah, I know. So we've I mean, calculated I, out even our imagination. I'm just trying to think what would be risky. I mean, the only thing I could think of is like jumping out of a plane, which is not something I want to do. Nor do I. That The heights thing is definitely... Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, don't, I, don't, of, I don't I don't do a, heights. I had a bad parasailing. Uh, really <laughs> wait so uh, first of all for people who so wait so what's parasailing exactly parasailing is where they hook you up uh, with a big parachute 
uh, behind you, and then the parachute is is connected to a, a, a speedboat, and the speedboat goes fast enough so that the parachute launches in the air, and so you're you're on the oh. parachute. So long story short, the they were going to reel us in on the wench, I think it's called. I don't yeah. know. No, but I mean, <laughs> if anyone knows what we're talking about, yeah. if it's wrong, let us know. Yes, please. And uh, that thing broke, so they couldn't reel us in. But the fortunate thing is that um, uh, you're attached to a parachute. So you don't just fall into the ocean. Right. You, you know, the parachute just you're gently You're kind of floating gently, yeah. The problem was that when we got off of the parachute and landed in the ocean, um, the parachute, because it was a windy day, because you go parasailing on windy days, flew back in the air. And so it started dragging the boat all over the place. And we were trying to swim back to the boat to, to catch on to get onto right. the boat. And it kept on just moving further and further away to the point where I was wearing a life preserver. I just was kind of like, well, this is this is it. <laughs> I'm just going to burn. Either someone Jeez. will get me or the sharks will get me. Right. I'll, just, I'll just wait. Holy crap. <laughs> so... Uh, I did get back on that horse. I did go parasailing again. You went again? But then that was like, yeah, okay, I'm good. <laughs> I just need to end on a good experience, and then I don't need to go that, again. I think that's brave. Some people, like, I remember reading this book about Aretha Franklin, and she didn't uh-huh. fly for, like, the last 30 years of her life. Oh, interesting. And she had a bad experience on a plane, sure. and it was just like, I'm never going to fly again. And she tried to, like, she didn't get, I think when you have a bad experience like that, the best thing to do is to sort of do it again as quickly as possible, just so you get the association with it being bad out of your head. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. Because the longer you wait, the more scary I think it feels for you. Oh, sure. And you get uh, tied up into that ritual or that that thought process of why well, do this and then this happens for right. things that are uncontrollable, unknowable. I think we're always trying to be like, how can we control this thing, right? But it's like you know, uh, was it the the um. The prayer that they do for Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, the Serenity Prayer, right. uh, change the thing. God grant me the power to accept the things that I cannot change. Yeah. Ah. So, so someone tell us what <laughs> the, the wench, is. It? It's a wench on a boat in the Serenity Prayer. Please let us know. This <laughs> is an interactive podcast. Yeah, it's becoming that. It's like pop up video. Right. right? Exactly. <laughs> What is the Serenity Prayer? But yeah, I mean, I think it ties into everything we've been talking about. We're always trying to. Fu- control the things so that we don't have the those anxious moments sure. control the things that we can't control but the the more that we kind of give into the fact that you just can't i think that's how you you hopefully become get closer to enlightenment as close as we can get while we're here i mean i i, I try to adopt the philosophy that you only live once and yeah. that's something that has definitely become clearer to me as i've gotten older yeah. it's like oh how many more chances am i going to get to do totally. this thing so why not just do it? If you have the resources and the want to do it, yeah, kind of makes sense to just fuck it. Yeah, do it. I think you're always happier on the other side, even if it was a good or even bad if it was experience. a failure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or well, I mean, failure is relative. Totally. But like with your stand-up thing, even if you go out there and you get an orange thrown at you or something like that, <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> you went out there and you told jokes. You got a response, right? Exactly, <laughs> and which is I think probably the most important part for yourself, anyway. Oh yeah. I'm curious, how has your other interviewees talked about masculinity? I mean, we've talked about a lot of different things. We've talked about fatherhood. I talked to someone earlier today about getting married for the second time. I've had people tell their coming out stories. Someone uh, revealed that he is in an open marriage Uh and he and his partner just decided that. I've had people kind of talk about having to unlearn a lot of the stuff that they were taught and just sort of learning how to reveal feelings and, and... Because 
I do think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, the narrative for me, at least, growing up, and a narrative for, I think, a lot of other people, was that, you know, it was like, something happens to you, suck it up. Like, any sort of sensitivity, any sort of feelings, any sort of extreme, well, whatever, I don't know, even know if it's extreme, extreme emotions or just emotions, mm-hmm. were attributed to being feminine. Sure. And, I, I mean, I still think that that's really, really dangerous. Oh, totally. uh, because it puts men in a space where they're not allowed to, you know, they're not allowed to express feelings. They're not allowed to express doubt or insecurity. They're not allowed to experiment. They're not allowed to have non-binary opinions. Like it right. just creates this whole like vortex of, of shit. Yeah. I mean, you know, I grew up, I grew up doing theater and being really involved in like arts. And I, I kind of thought, oh, because I'm doing all this and I'm, you know, acting in plays and writing stuff, I must be more in touch with my feelings and more open. I think I am generally, I hope to be, but there's, there was definitely a lot of stuff, you know, in between writing this book and going to therapy that I realized I still hold on to, um, and, and had trouble with expressing my, my feelings. So I think even, I think it's a constant, I mean, even as we're having these discussions in 2020, and it's more open, and that's amazing. I think it's still something that's going to take a long time for people to unlearn. Oh, sure. It's so ingrained. And, in every and, aspect of life. Yeah. In terms and of in, passing it down, in, in terms of you know families, and also what we're seeing in the media. Like, yeah. It's so ingrained, you kind of you don't even realize it, I think, half the time. I think you have to be conscious of it to realize how how ingrained it is. Yeah. To realize how, how, uh, like how every single piece of everything how so much of everything you consume has that sort of uh um, conditioning wrapped into it yeah it's 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 everywhere um i think we're kind of in that first stage of just acknowledging that this is a problem and that this is something that should be examined i'm really excited to see kind of where it goes i think you know i always look to the younger people to see how they're handling it you know i think back to um in my high school i think there was one person who was out um and not a hundred percent publicly, but to his kind of friends, you know, we knew that he, he was out. And now I look at my sister is uh, almost 10 years younger than me. And I look at even her high school experience and then our relatives who are even younger than her, their high school experience. It's like, totally it's not different. even a thing anymore, which is so wonderful. Yeah. I had one person on that I spoke to and he, he and his brother are both gay mm-hmm. and they were both out by the time they were 16 or 17 years old you know, in high school. Wow. And I think about like my high school graduating class was 4,200 kids. Yeah. And there was one out person yeah. in yeah. New York city. Yeah. And that just was that's just the way it was. Right. That's the way it was. So it just feels like a, a lot of younger people. And I really appreciate a lot of the conversations that younger people bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Some people think that progress has not gone far enough yet, mm-hmm. but if you have the perspective of, you know, somebody like me saying in 1993 in New York city in a class of, Actually, my entire high school was 4,200 people. My graduating class was 1,400 people. Yeah. Um, out of 1,400 people, there was one out gay man. Right. I'm pretty sure if I went back to that school now, uh, it would be a lot different. And there would be people... I mean, I went back for my 25th reunion uh, a year and a half ago, two years ago, and there were signs all over the school about the LGBTQ uh, and allies group, which, when I was in high school, they met in secret. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know that we have one in my high school in Virginia. Yeah. I mean, it's it can only be good yeah. <laughs> to have this progress, but I think you're right. I think 
of course, we're older than people who are in college right now. Right. We have a little bit more history to look at. And, you know, uh, people who are older than us have even more history. Um, yeah, I think it's you can't can't say that progress hasn't been made in terms of how fast it should be or what we would want. Of course, those are totally different questions. But, um, yeah, it's something, and I think, you know, ties into this, this discussion on masculinity that we're having. I mean, will we even be having a podcast? Will we even be having a podcast? Well, yeah, we'll be having podcasts <laughs> we'll be 20 having, years from now. Exactly. It'll be whatever the next thing, or we'll probably be like four next things away. But that'll be interesting. Like, will this even be... Uh, a valid topic uh, of conversation. Yeah, will this be a conversation that we'll still be having? I hope so, because I think it's always good to be able to talk about these things. And that's, I think that's the real plus is that I think, you know in really recent times, even 10 years ago, this just wasn't even a topic. We right. just kind of all took it for granted that this is just, just the how the, the way that, that it was. And now it's always a good thing to look at something and say, okay, I know it's been like this for years, but should it still be like that? I feel like that's kind of the topic we're having around masculinity. So you know, in a way, I'm glad that my book is not as relevant now. And it's kind of like a relic of the past because it's, it's, it's only for good reasons. It means that we're having discussions in a way that I didn't even think were going to were, were possible. I was I was rereading it uh, before I came over here today, and I was looking at the um, the epilogue that I wrote in the book, and I made a point about talking about how I wasn't talking about masculinity from a, a gender specific standpoint, but even in the way that I talk about gender in the epilogue in that book is not how I would be talking about gender right now. And again, that was just like six seven years ago when right. I wrote that. So that's amazing too that how we're thinking about it and, and someone like me who says gender to, to know kind of how people are dealing with it now, people outside of, of my experience um, is such an amazing thing. What has changed? And I mean, this is sort of part of the previous question or part of your previous response leading into the next question. Like what has changed for you personally in the last six, seven years in terms of how I'm looking at all these things? Yeah. Um, I think it's more, it's, it's being aware of other people's experiences, um, just in terms of, you know, I moved out of Virginia into New York. When I wrote the book, I had just moved to New York. Um, meeting people with experiences out of my own has been so enlightening, um, to, um, kind of realized that even though I felt like I was an open person, I think you can still be an open person and still be kind of narrow-minded because that's just your experience. Oh, yes. And also, you know, I still <laughs> uh, have a lot of my behavior um, uh, emulated by, by stuff that I, I, I read and watch. And so it's great to be able to see other people's stories in television and movies, you know, stories that I wouldn't uh, even have considered that people were living, you know, before. So I just last night I watched um, Chasing Amy again. Oh wow! <laughs> uh, to see how that wow. held up. Has that not, that has probably not held up very well. I think parts do and parts don't. I mean, you got to put everything in its its place. Sure. When it came out, I think it was pretty it was pretty forward. And I was thinking that you know that movie came out I think in '97. That was probably my first real kind of experience. Um, seeing uh, people deal with sexuality in ways that I hadn't had any experience with growing up. And how old were you then? Uh, I probably saw that movie early high school. 
Okay. So I was probably like 15 or 16. All right, so still at an age where... Uh, and this is also like pre-social media and, and right. all it, of that it's stuff. Like if I wasn't not... friends with them in high school, I wasn't yeah. really getting a sense. I think we we had live journals in high school. <laughs> oh, so that was my first like foray into oh, figuring out, oh, there's a whole world of people outside of Northern Virginia. Live journal. Oh, yeah. R.I.P. <laughs> uh, yes. Or well, maybe, does live journal Maybe not exist? rest in peace. I think you can. I think you can still find it. It's, oh, it's, I'm tempted. You don't want we to. might have to add this on after the show. <laughs> you don't want to. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't want. I'm hoping that every single thing that I have ever posted on Live Journal is like dead and burned. There's going to need to be something like this with our internet histories, right? Because people who are born now are going to have a lifetime of their, you know. Your everything, entire life is everything they ever thought, broadcast. everything they ever experienced, yeah. saved on the internet. There's got to be some kind of like self-destruct mission some impossible. Some eraser. <laughs> There's got to be an eraser. Yeah, we really need that. Yeah, whoever's gonna make the next killer app is going to deal <laughs> with that. That is, we need to do that for real. But yeah, I mean, it was a, a time, and I, you know, I'm a little older than you, but yeah. same thing. Where it's like, oh well, if these people are outside your circle, how are you going to know? what their experience is. Yeah. You know, how are you going to even know if this experience exists necessarily? And, you know, I, I at least went to high school in a pretty diverse environment. Sure. Um, eh, relative to the rest of the environments I, I was in growing up. But there was still a whole lot of cultural and, and, and you know, personal type of things that I had not experienced sure. and wouldn't experience until I was much uh, older. Oh, totally. I think it, it, you know, I think a lot of that comes from travel. I mean, I guess now, you know, you can get so much uh, from people's experiences online, uh, but I think that's also kind of, you know, there's a there's a film in front of that. Right, you're getting it's, the 2D version and not the 3D exactly, version. Exactly, it's so much different to actually be there with somebody else and actually talk to them and converse with them and have it the interaction to be able to really understand someone else's story. And I think it wasn't until I got to college and then moved to a big city that I really started you know, having friends who had lived these experiences as opposed to just seeing them in movies and then really being able to empathize with what what they were dealing with. I think empathy is like what is it's, it's always something that we can all work on and something <laughs> that I try to work on on a daily basis. This is literally the second consecutive conversation that I've had where empathy has come up as a key point. I think that's yeah. just going to be a through line for every single conversation I have. That to me is like reaching nirvana. It's yeah. like when you can really empathize with everyone that you kind of come across. Because I don't think anyone sets out to be a bad person. No. In their mind, they don't think they're bad. They're just kind of living life to the code that they've set up for themselves. And, you know, it kind of ties in with what we're talking about in terms of, like, masculinity. I think people who kind of hold dear to these kind of tenets of classic John Wayne masculinity might just be because that's just what they know and they haven't had a lot of experiences outside of that. But once you do, you can kind of see from the outside... Not all these things are ideals that we should really be living up right. to. It's important to not be resistant to change. Totally. Or or to understand. And I think one thing empathy really gives you that's valuable, and I've said this to other people, so this will be another through line, I think, throughout the show, yeah. is that it makes you realize how few things are definitive A or B. Totally. You know, I think living life... In, in in a binary thinking kind of way, mm -hmm. just doesn't seem rational. 
And so few things are. Yeah. If anything is. I you, you're born and you die. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, <Jeff and> <laughs> I, hey, I don't think everybody pays taxes. <laughs> what? Lauren, Lauren Hill didn't pay taxes. Oh yeah. So Miss Lauren Hill. Miss Ah, right. sorry. I don't want to get sued or anything. <laughs> Once you realize that even the stuff you believe or have been taught to believe is absolute isn't absolute at all totally. it, it just kind of opens your mind up to so many different possibilities and permutations of, of things that can happen i always think about what are we being narrow-minded about now in 2020 that down the line we're gonna see oh we were so wrong about that what are we being narrow-minded about in 2020 that we're gonna um, if i knew i'd be you know <laughs> well you can I'd be a CNN yes. yeah. um that's a hmm I don't know. Probably the internet. It's probably something about the internet. <laughs> I mean, everything is about the internet now, so... <laughs> probably just the fact that we have cell phones that we can't look away from. But I don't know. That seems like... <laughs> yeah, we've, we've looked away from our cell phones for a reasonable amount of time. We've done really well. Yes. You've only been looking at your cell phone to remember your notes. Right, that's true. You are my first guest, second guest, who's taken notes. Or uh, who has made notes prior to coming in to do this. You could take the writing writer out of the what is it? You could take the writer out of the de- writing desk, but you can't take the I don't know. That's the third thing we're gonna need. What's that Someone's saying? Someone's gonna have to roll that out. The serenity for prayer. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, oh, the wench. Uh, the the wench. wench on the boat. Just, I, I think wench, wench, not wrench. A wench is like a sea hag. That's that's I know. Like yeah, it's maybe it's not wench. It's, it's not what wrench is. That's already a thing, right? I mean, I think wrench has more than two meanings. <laughs> okay. It's one of those I mean, I guess it's words. possible that wrench has more than two meanings, it too. It could be nothing like this word that I keep on saying. Okay. It could be so far away. I'm not a nautical person. Yeah, my understanding is that a wench is a sea hag. All right, so it's not that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it wasn't... That wasn't what was holding onto our parachute. No. No, it's not. Um, so... And if you don't want to talk about this, we can certainly edit it out. So, in the book, you... Or mention the the book actually sort of starts uh, with you learning how to tie a tie for your wedding. Yes, uh, not the first; it's the second chapter, third chapter. Uh, it's the first chapter. The first, first chapter after yeah, you got to have some tie. intro stuff here at the yeah. beginning. Yeah, yeah, oh. I did. I did get married when I first started writing that book, and so that was just a, another kind of big rite of passage for me. That kind of made me think. Okay, I thought at this point I was going to have you know have go through this rite of passage, and then all of a sudden have all these kind of adulting skills that I thought I should have. Haven't you ever watched a sitcom in your life, Peter? <laughs> all of the husbands are man children. That's true. That's true. And that's kind of where I felt maybe that's I had I had watched too many sitcoms. Ah, that's what it was. And then I thought that, oh, this is just yeah. I've I've leaned into this character too far. I need to reel it back. You need to not be Ray Romano. Like whatever anymore. that thing is on a boat that reels things <laughs> in. With the winch or winch or wrench or whatever the hell it is. Yeah, that that was kind of an impetus to kind of like, okay, how who who do I want to be as a person? I mean, it's so interesting to me. Not that people see marriage as a rite of passage mm-hmm. or as a ticket into adulthood, because I, at one point in my life, I felt the same way, but that so many people think that it's a rite of passage or it's, it's, a, it's your ticket into adulthood without actually considering that there are other things you need to do to become an adult that totally. don't involve it. Totally. Yeah. And you kind of, yeah, by wrapping yourself up in a relationship with somebody else, you can kind of put off dealing with things individually as a person that you might otherwise, as a single person, say, you know, fo- be focused on. Right. And I think 
Yeah, there's some truth to that in terms of how I was living my life in terms of, uh, you know, put the harder things further off because I had my partner could deal with those things for me. There was a, a you know, something small like a picture that needs to be hung up and I felt like I was going to screw it up. My partner could help me with that. Right. So yeah, it was, it was, um, the book was definitely a, um, a, uh, exploration into how I could kind of be, be a, a more full human being. And I think that goes t- hand in hand with being a partner. But yeah, I totally think that's definitely a common thing, whether it's getting married or having a child or right. something like well, that. Well, that's the other thing, having a kid. Yeah, I mean, and again, I think it's tied into also how you're raised, how you grow up, what kind of family structure you grow up with, or what you're seeing in the media, or what your friends are doing. You kind of look to those as models for how you want to live your life. But it's rare that, especially before I I took this project on, that I would kind of take a step back and say, okay, am I really doing this, living this life for me, or am I living a life that I think is, is right because of all the kind of images and, and and family things that I've been taking in all, you know all these years. And so yeah, it was it was a good project to kind of you know what did I obviously the drinking scotch was something that I, that has retained that has retained. Yes. So like what kind of things that all my friends and family like that they're that things that they're passionate about are those things that I could also be passionate about, you know, I don't know yet. I got I got to actually try it. So it was a good good exploration of that. I've asked variations of this question to just about everybody yeah. that I've done this with. What do you think has been the thing that has been the most difficult to unlearn in terms of the sort of conditioned behavior you have? Hmm. I think it's the um, showing feelings. Being, being, It's okay to be upset and sensitive and because I think I am a very sensitive person. And I think that was what was great about doing theater when I was younger. Um, and acting and stuff, it you know forces you to kind of get out of that. But even though I did all that, you know, I was acting in play since I was 14 years old. Um, I still in my, that was like, that was the theater side. And then in my normal day-to-day life, I was still very closed up. And I think, yeah, I'll, some of that definitely came from thinking, oh, as a man, this is the kind of person I need to be, kind of like stoic calm and steady boys don't cry exactly even if you tell yourself oh i don't really believe that the more and more you see those images in media and the more and more that comes up even if it's just us talking about it in a sarcastic way yeah. like it's still it's still a thing we're still Here's acknowledging that the it's little a, voice it's a stereotype. yeah yeah and so yeah i think that's definitely it's damaging and so that was that's big and that's something that i still am definitely dealing with uh, you know, it's it's okay to not fit that mold of the John Wayne, you know, that doesn't shed a tear for anything. At the beginning of the book, you know, in a tongue-in-cheek way, I'm talking about all the kind of passions I have about, like, dancing and fashion and theater and how those are, you know, not masculine ideals. Uh, and I was talking about it in a tongue-in-cheek way to have kind of a good opening for the book. But, again, even though it's kind of said in a sarcastic way, it's not as though I didn't think in there was some truth to that. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, I, as someone who was a theater kid in school uh, saying, you know, even though I knew that was my genuine self, I was like, oh, you know, but if I were the jock or I was doing sports, maybe I would have, you know, this life and maybe that would be better. So I think, yeah, it's it's hard to move away from those stereotypes when those stereotypes are rewarded by our society. In some way, and I think that's what's great right now is we're we're moving further and further away from just rewarding 
that like classic ideal of, of what we believe masculinity was so we can hopefully you know help young kids see that there's wide spectrum of of ways that you can be and there there's you know good things about all someone brought up uh the idea of queering the patriarchy which is taking all of these patriarchal models all of these masculine models that we've that we've been conditioned to believe and making them more fluid making them queerer making them less traditionally masculine so even if like it's great for women to be in charge of things but if they adopt the same ideals and the same principles that the men in charge held it's pretty much the same thing just with women instead of men right we're just switching the genders right but it's still, still the same like toxic right. behavior right i mean patriarchy is not specifically all male all the time totally. you know what i'm saying totally so it's just the idea of taking the whole model of what anyone is or what anyone could be or should be and Blurring it. Yeah, I mean, I can't speak from the queer perspective, but I think to me that's, you know, I'm reading that as uh, knocking down the ideals we had in play. Um, and I think, yeah, it, it, either either way you think about it, I think it's a, it's a healthy conversation and important to have the, the very binary ways that we were looking at, at what this is to just flip-flop it and say, okay, now people who identify as women, now you're going to be, you know, stoic and unfeeling and, and all these things is not a healthy thing. Like it, it, it's about breaking, breaking down those walls. Right. Okay. So in addition to all the stuff that we've talked about, you are still a very creative person. Mm-hmm. Like you do creative stuff. I do. So I want to give all my guests the space to promote their creative endeavors. Ah. So. Well, I'll talk about the book since that's what we've been talking about. Yeah, People but are you got stuff still... other than the book. I do. I do. Yeah. I got some music things going on. Yes. Um, well, so the book is, as you said, it's called Be a Man. If you go to beamanproject.com, you can read uh, more about it. And I got some blog entries up there. And then the book itself is also available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Smashwords, all those places. So you can get it in print or on ebook. And then, yeah, I got some music things going on. If you go to at Zipped Lips Music. Uh, on all the social media, you can check out some of the music I've been doing. And I should add that you are not to be confused with, there's at least two other Peter Andres oh. in the public eye. Who's the well, there's one? There's a British pop singer. That's true. Named Peter Andre. That's correct. And there's a porn actor oh. <laughs> named Peter Andre. This is good to know. You did not Has you he also that? written a book about being a man? Being a man. If he did, I would imagine it's very different from the one that you right. wrote. Right. I did notice that I'm getting so many more sales recently, so yeah. maybe that's... No, I'm just You didn't know that there was a porn actor in Peter Andre? I didn't. Um, you know, but that's... I guess that's a good thing. Is that not the sure. first thing that comes up in the Google search? <laughs> no. The the British pop star is very famous in uh, in England. So he takes all of the, like, first 100 Google image searches. Ah. So I maybe have just not scrolled down far enough to see the other Peter Andres, the other creative Peter Andres. Well, he's a, he is a gay porn actor. Okay. So uh, that could maybe be why he hasn't come yeah. across my uh, field of view. But uh, there you go. A lot of Peter Andres. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah. It's a popular name. <laughs> I guess so. You know, anytime you put two first names together, it's just... It is. That's why I've been, you know, I make music under a separate name, as you know. And uh, that's why I was kind of bummed that I couldn't use my real name to make music. I do do like my name. But there can't be two, you know, if another singer named Taylor Swift was to come out with music, it'd just be very confusing. Exactly. I try, yeah, 
You just you just can't you can't do that. You're gonna get sued. <laughs> oh man. I am really grateful to Peter for sitting down and uh, doing this interview with me. Once again, the book is called Be a Man, How I Spent One Year Drinking, Shaving, Farming, and Fathering My Way Toward Masculinity. And it's a really good read. Make sure you check it out. You can also uh, check out Peter online at Zipped Lips Music. Uh, That is his name as a musician and a producer. And uh, his music is really good. It's on Spotify and iTunes and all of the streaming services. So uh, make sure you give a listen to that stuff as well. Whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or on Podbean, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss another episode. And please use the hashtag DetoxPod if you're discussing the show online. Leave a review anywhere that you can. And if you think that someone might find value in this show, please let them know about it. We're uh, still brand new, so trying to get as many people to uh, check this out as possible. And uh, if you have any questions about the show or about me, or you would like to be a guest, or you know someone who would like to be a guest, you can send me an email, detoxpod at gmail.com. I am recording interviews remotely right now while we're under quarantine, so you do not have to be local to be on this podcast. Uh, you can also like this podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash detoxpod, or you can follow me or slide into my DMs on Instagram at it's Mike Joseph. At some point, either immediately before or immediately after the publication of this particular podcast, I will have a uh, poll question up on my Facebook page, and I'm going to try to do an advice show or just a question answering show with just me at some point in the uh, near future. So if you have a question, and you want to ask it anonymously, whether it's an advice question, a question about the show, a question about me, there will be a link to an anonymous form on my Facebook page. Once again, that is facebook.com slash detoxpod, and you can ask a question. And uh, once again, I'm Mike Joseph, and I thank you for listening. Y'all be safe. Peace. Peace.